Hey, everybody. Welcome to Autism Confidential, the podcast from the National Council on Severe Autism. I am your host today. I am Jill Escher, and I am also president of NCSA. Um, I think regular listeners may have noticed that we are not chiming in with new episodes every week. It's been just very busy. Um, we are looking more like every two weeks, and then hopefully we'll get back into the every week mode. But um, for now, just forgive us. We are busy autism people. <laughs> um, but uh, today I am, um, I'm not going to say I'm happy to introduce this next subject or proud, um, but I, uh, I feel it is our duty to cover the next subject. This one actually came, um, uh, came up uh, by a request from one of our listeners, and it's something that we've talked about quite a bit before at NCSA um, because it's a big issue in autism families. And it is, drum roll please, da 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 da, da. Um, fecal smearing um, and um, feces play and other terms for such matters. Um, and today I'm very happy to be with two people who are both therapists and um, they're both BCBAs who have worked with this severe autism population and are intimately familiar with how challenging, you know, this can be. This is very, uh, of all the things that come with severe autism, and I'm not saying this happens in every case, but it happens in many cases. Um, it's extremely distressing on many levels um, to the individuals and the families involved. So addressing it is a big issue. So welcome Joyce to Dr. Joyce too. And Dr. Kelly Birmingham. Hello. Not Hello. Dr. Just oh, Kelly not Birmingham. Dr. Just <laughs> Kelly Birmingham. <laughs> Kelly Birmingham, you're a doctor to me. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly also serves on the NCSA board, for which we're very grateful. Um, they are both in Southern California, correct? Right, Dr. Right. Tu? Right. And um, Dr. Tu has been leading the severe autism clinic as part of Easter Seals. In fact, you can see it if you're watching this on video, you can see her logo mm -hmm. on the screen. So welcome guys. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, let's start with just a really basic question. In your experience, how common is it for your clients um, with autism to have an, an issue regarding um, inappropriate, um, shall I say, encounters with fecal matter? Very often, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Quite often, yeah. In all different type of forms too. Right. right. Yeah. Tell us about the forms. Let's just get right into it. Okay. Well, since we're talking about this subject, so I'm just going to be very straightforward. So um, it could be, I think uh, you have sent me the questions from one of your listeners um, that uh, the student or the learner will reach into a diaper or a pants and then take out, you know, quote unquote, Play-Doh and smear. Um, it, it, we also seen the form of um, uh, digging. Mm -hmm. So um, digging and then smear, um, or it's just, you know, all different sort of forms. So these are sort of top two, I would say. Um, and Callie, do you have you seen other forms too? I mean, this these are pretty severe. They're pretty severe. Yeah. I one other particularly unusual. I've only seen it. I've actually seen it twice, um, where um, individuals actually 
um, stored their feces mm-hmm. in containers. Um, I had one who had stored them under his bed. Um, and he, it was, it was super unusual. He was actually trying to watch. He was in, he was an interested in the scientificness of it <laughs> and how it changed, but it became a compulsion so that every time that he, you know, had a bowel movement, he had to scoop it out, hold it and save it. Mm-hmm. And then I knew an, another one who did it, um, similar, but in a, it was more in a way to upset family members. Um, but in general, the two you described are the most common. Most common. Yeah. yeah. And and I think also another thing to also add on to it is, you know, most of the time when people think about severe autism, they, they have this profile of um, learners or participants who are non, non-vocal at all and will engage in these problems. But from experience, they mean even uh, learners or participants who are vocal or verbal will engage in these type of behavior too. Um, so right. it's common, right? Yeah, it's it's very. It, I I know you know when my son was little, I have a, a son and a daughter with with nonverbal autism. Um, my son had this condition very transiently. Um, he kind of did it a couple times and then it went away. Mm-hmm. Um, and my daughter never did. Uh, thank goodness. Uh, but we have heard innumerable stories along the lines of, you know, digging into the diaper, yeah. um, you know, smearing it on their body, smearing it on their face, smearing it on their bed, smearing it on the wall, smearing it on the carpet. Um, and it creates an immense burden um, in the home, not just to keep the child clean and safe, but the the cleaning, the constant cleaning, the smell mm-hmm is very, very distressing um, for, for these, these families. Um, so do you see that the behavior, and I realize every case is individual and different, do you, do you tend to see the behavior decrease over time? What, what kind of patterns do you see longitudinally? Um, I think some participants, like you say, is it just a few episodes and then it just kind of, you know, diminish um, over time. Um, but some actually becomes more severe and to the point um, that initially it may be uh, just fickle smearing or, you know, uh, digging at the annual area. But uh it really is the individual difference, right? But I do see a percentage of them be developing what we call incopressis. Um, so it's it's kind of maybe the consequences of of what happened after the fecal smearing or um or define maybe the incopresis for our, incopresis, our audience. Sure. Know. Yes. So incopresis is um it's a condition it's a condition where which the individual holds their bowels or urine, um, mostly mostly bowel movement um, for a long period of time, it becomes a chronic condition that maybe initially it's more uh, constipation, but over mm-hmm. time it because they hold it so for so long that um, liquids may be sipping out um, from the annual gland area mm-hmm. and um and or, uh, you know, in some cases that the the condition was so severe is um, pressing on the organs inside of the mm. person that they no longer 
have can uh, you know have the sensation um or feet or or in in that regard right um so that's incorporated so, so what we see is over time um maybe the consequences or maybe they're just some sort of underlying medical condition that will lead to um more severe cases like in coprisis. Um, so um, these cases, when you intervene, right, you know, that you're, you're coming in usually as part of an ABA program, I imagine, or, right. or, or right. do you do, do you do inpatient work or is it just in-home? So it's, we do outpatient. So um, most of our participants are in clinic or start, their program will start in clinic. And then, um, then we, once we get a good instruction and control, then we may gradually um, move them back in home. Um, And, or sometimes they have both in clinic and in home in combination. Okay. So let's say you're in the clinic. And this is one of your goals, right? To diminish these behaviors. Tell us some of the strategies that you use. So it's <laughs> there is really no big secret. Really, <laughs> really no big secret. Um, it, it's um, like like Holly actually mentioned that earlier. It really depending on the person and um, what is the reason, what's the function of that behavior. So we always always start with a functional behavior assessment and to really see okay is is this behavior really to get somebody is somebody's uh, uh, reaction. Or is it um, a lot of time, it may be just because there is that underlying medical condition. And so in those cases, um, we do a lot of collaboration with other professionals. You have to, you have to um, work in collaboration with professional, other professionals, for example, the GI doctors, you have to work very closely with them. We have to work really closely sometimes with um, dietitians and with um, OT um, to have a, a very comprehensive plan to address this issue. So um, so let me give you an example. One of the very severe cases that, that we do work with, um, we actually have to, that the condition have gotten so bad, it becomes syncopresis. And it, it the, the, the participant has, more than 10 years of history with this problem. So initially we the, we have to do an assessment and we notice that he can no longer control his bowel. So so we work really closely with GI to get him admit to the medical center or to a hospital to clean out. So they they will have these clean out procedure that they have to do. And once they get cleaned out, we immediately see this person in clinic or in the home, actually. In this case, we do see him in the home. And, um, and we just start very rigorous um, toilet training process. And so that's what I'm saying. If there's no... Um, there's no big secret. It's it's all about going back to basic. Let's go back to take a look at the toilet training process and take a look at if we can just start over, start new with the person. So for the toilet training process, are I, I realize it's individual, so there's probably not one answer, but is it generally, you know, putting the child on the toilet on a regular schedule, like every 30 minutes until 
you know, they get become accustomed to that action or how do you do it? Yeah. So toilet training is, it's, it's difficult in a way um, because, you know, it is something what we call private events, meaning that this is something that only the person who can feel, you know, what is going on within him or herself. Um, so it's hard for us to see from the outside because if we, if you know, if you look at typical regression, you can see the trigger in the, in the environment. So that once we can see and do a careful observation, we see the triggers and then, you know, then we can do that. We can manipulate whatever it is in there. So because we can't really see when this person have to go. So, or, um, uh, so what we have to do then is to be able to manipulate some of the things that we can do from the outside that we can really do a good position when this person have to go. Meaning that it's it's taking this person every 30 minutes, but what's very important is what is this person drinking and mm-hmm. what is this person eating mm-hmm. in between those 30 minutes, 30 minute um, intervals, right? Um, Kelly, I, it sounded like you have something you wanted to add to. You know, I was just saying one of the, one of the, I was just agreeing because one of the challenges when there's a schedule yeah. is if there isn't an opportunity to have to go right. to the back, right? You're like, exactly. you're an eight or have a bowel movement. And so you have to create the scenario where the body actually has to have a bowel movement. Right. And sometimes right. that gets missed in like your standard toilet training programs. Right is people aren't looking at that. And the other thing I'll just add is, um, and I know that Dr. Chu does this, you can also look at the data, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can think of an individual right now who very consistently, if he's going to have a bowel movement, you get a timeframe around when it likely might happen. And so, you know, data and then creating the opportunities to have to go are crucial in these programs. Exactly. So that initial assessment, a lot of time I do hear from parents, you know, gosh, you know, we've been, we wanted to start this program so soon. So, so that yesterday, right. But, but you do have to, but we have to be very clear. Like we need at least a month of the time to collect our, to do our assessment because the data that what Kelly was saying, why I wanted to find out a pattern. I needed to know when is this person have to go, especially with that movement. And so the patterns could be like Kelly was saying earlier, it could be between, you know, five to seven at night, you know, so, and, and that is going to take a consistent observation to, to get that consistent pattern. Or sometimes we may even get patterns how long after so-and-so eats something, you know, and, and what is it that they were eating and they immediately after. So a lot of time we do also find patterns. It may not be between this time to this time, but we do find patterns as long as this person consistently have a meal or three meals during the day that we know when the bowel movement is going to come. So really, I, I, if I can kind of do a little analysis here, what you're saying is it's important to get them out of diapers and it's important to get them not to retain their stool. Like, right. Right. And that's the first step to kind of stopping this, the smearing, you know, and right. the, and the play right with the stools. So, um, right. okay. Now, uh, you know, so if obviously if they're in diapers, all they have to do is reach in, get the stools and start playing with it. Mm-hmm. And so getting them trained would be important. 
but even if some people are potty trained, do they still have this problem even after they're trained? Right. So if they are trained, then yeah, they have a problem. So the problem could be, you know, something like Kelly was saying that earlier, it could be, I just want to collect it. I want to see what's, <laughs> what that looks like. And over time, um, but if, if the person is toilet trained and, and that, um, that then, then that's where the assessment is to find out, well, why, why are you doing this? Um, it's, it's, well, well, tell me, I mean, this seems to be like, the most perplexing thing, right? Like of all things you could do with your time, why choose this? And I realize that many of our children are very severely cognitively impaired and basically their whole world is their body because they don't have a cognitive mechanism for dealing with things outside of their body, right? And so if something weird is happening, something's coming out of their body, that's something that's extremely salient to them right? Where something happening on the TV is not. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, what, what are, in your experience, what are some of the functions served by this? Well, quite a lot of time I have to say is that there's not a very structured schedule during a person's day. And, um, and that, you know, doing something like that, takes time it occupies this person's time and um and if you see and 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 you know i appreciate you use that you know a lot of time our you know this particular population was so severely impacted that they may also lack skills not just in communication but lacking skills in leisure and play and lacking right lacking skills that you know that's what a lot if you look at typical developing children um when mom is mommy is busy cooking go do something there mm-hmm. there's options right so they right. go watch tv playing games or i don't know get getting in fights with her siblings. Right. That's, that's common that's what kids do and so if we're looking at this population um we we focus so much on communication maybe we focus so much on self-help and maybe sometimes the clinician just not really looking to hey play is a big part of it, you know, play and, and doing something on my own when mom is busy. It's important so that when I can engage in these other activity, I don't no longer really need to play with my feces. And so that's, that's one, right? That's mm-hmm. one function. But like I say, you know, every, every individual um, engaged in this behavior could have different functions. So if the function is to, I just want to get you mad, I want you to mm-hmm. pay attention to me, then yeah, there's obviously very, I'm, I'm sure um, it's very straightforward, you know, getting, oh, I've definitely you know, seen cases where, you know, the kid is just very oppositional. Mm-hmm. And this is part of the expression of that oppositionality. It's mm-hmm. a really unfortunate expression. There may, it, there may yeah. also not be that social stigma, right? If mm-hmm. a lot of our, um, a lot of our clients in this population doesn't don't have the social stigma aspect of like, you don't do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's also sometimes um, I always call, I always call it inadvertent smearing. <laughs> where okay. the smearing may not be as intentional as everyone thinks. The smearing may be more to do with how I clean right. myself and my skills and how I yeah. have it. And so, right. So it's on my right. hand and I 
reach for the toilet paper, but I get it on the holder and then I get it on the wall and then I don't get it all off my hand. So it's on the sink. And so now it's on my hand. I want to get it off. So I wipe it on the wall to get it off rather than wash and use a towel. So that's another, you know, when we're looking at function or reasons why someone might smear, it's sort of like an unintentional smear, I call Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) Right. And and the and then these these are fun cases, really. Like in, in our world, it's oh right. you don't know how to wipe. This is a great <laughs> we have a great program. Right. You know, that, that just teach you how to wipe. And 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 then again is is if those are the cases, if it's outside the toilet training and 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 the scenarios that Gally was given or what I was talking about earlier, then we don't have to wait until a person have a bowel movement to teach its skills. These type of opportunities can be provided throughout the day so that the person just, I mean, I think what I think somebody was was mentioned um, before, maybe Peter Gerhardt talked about it before. Um, uh, he, he was saying, you know, why is it that when people do discrete trial, you would do like a thousand, two thousand trials for one skills, but things like this, that teach a person how to wipe you only do once a day right I mean it's not more important that's just you know do more try it let's do more of these more appropriate functional Mm -hmm. skills throughout a day well one thing I hear a lot from families is how hard it is to teach them to wipe properly Mm -hmm. that that is actually a very very hard one for families I don't know if that's been your experience even when they're quote-unquote potty trained you know, just getting them to do it 100% alone is really proving to be very impossible for a lot of families, even ones who've been in uh, through a lot of therapy and intervention. So it's hard because then um, how much a toilet paper you're supposed to use, right? That's, yeah, that's something one. like that. And how right? do you fold it up, right? Is <laughs> it crunch it up together? And then, yeah, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And then when do you stop? That's right? also right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely a challenge. Um, so let me ask you this. So these parents sometimes, you know, come with us, come to us with these issues around their kids when their kids are teens or early twenties and they still, you know, aren't potty trained. Yeah. And the parents basically have given up because they have tried everything. You know, Mm -hmm. they have been through ABA, you know, they've been through special ed, you know, they've been through OT and, like nothing has, has worked. And I have to say, it's one of the most really excruciating things for these families to deal with a large person who's still in diapers, Yeah, you know, regardless of the smearing issues, mm-hmm. right. you know, what do you do with those people? You, you know, I know you, I assume you usually work with kids, but now these are teens, young adults, and it's just exponentially harder for their, their families. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely a, a, a specialty, right? But I do have to tell you, I think maybe only 2% of our participants are kids. Um, I think the the 98% of our participants are teens and young adults. Um, In our so, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Oh, then I stand corrected. Sorry. Yeah. So, so no, you're, you're fine. You're correct. Totally fine. And, and yet it is, it is hard. And um, it really is, we do have really dedicated staff who are, you know, and, and a lot of times they're two to one ratio, not, not one to one. Some of them go as high as three to one, four to one, 
um, just due to the nature of they're getting bigger too. Like you say, you know, um, it, it's straightforward. It is hard to when somebody who's that big invites you to go to the bathroom. But, but I mean, I'm a behavior analyst and then I can only tell you the best, my best friends um, are these positive reinforcers have something that that's, mm-hmm. that's useful. Um, the, the individuals that I was um, telling you earlier was an adult and we had synchroprisis. We had to work really closely with the GI and to get him repotty trained. Um, we use, you know, things that, that are appropriate, Wi-Fi time. You know, if you go to the bathroom, you earn, you know, 20 minutes of Wi-Fi time and you can do whatever you like, um, you know, that was his free time that, that he earned. So, and that's that's the, I, I'm not saying simple, but the most parsimonious way that we were able to motivate a person to, to do that. And um, and maybe the wiping part of it had to, to be taught separately than the toilet training. So so the toilet training, maybe the staff would just have to help the person to wipe. But during the day, then we're doing the wiping exercise. Yes, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, eat just the, the wiping is sort of secondary. Just mm-hmm. getting them right. out of diapers right. Mm-hmm. is right. just priority number one for, for right. many, many autism families. Right. And I have to say, sorry, uh, I just really I don't want to forget. I do have to say, um, you know, with younger children, when we see the fecal smearing, sometimes we also see what in combination with that is they will hide. So, yes. doing, yeah, they mm-hmm. will hide. So mm-hmm. they, they will ask for maybe they're potty trained already, but ask for they will ask for a diaper and they will mm-hmm. hide in the closet to go. Mm-hmm. So that so that's very common. We do see that quite common too. So that is a whole other process itself. That the the initial process is, you know what? Let's get you out of the closet, even if you need to go in your diaper, standing, whatever. It's fine. Just let me be around because if I'm around, then I can provide reinforcements when you perform the skills that we need you to perform. So so that's also something else I I just don't want to forget when yeah. I add it in. So if a parent is in this position and they're really, you know, desperate for help, um, would they, this is a, a technical question, would they go to, would they use their insurance to hire an ABA company like yours? Um, not all ABA companies, I think, like dealing with this particular population, I have to be honest. Um, but would they go to their insurance? Would they go like in California to the regional center? Like where, where would they go to get an intensive program, right? Like yours to work on this, because not everybody has access to your Easter seals clinic. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's insurance. You, you hit it right on insurance. Um, and again, this is, you know, we're looking at this is definitely medically necessary, um, for the family to get these services. Um, and that, um, regional center also here. I mean, there, it, it, it's one of big things to toilet training, right? Anything that have to do with toileting, um, is under regional center as well. Um, and, and, um, you know, I, I, I can't really speak for school because just a lot of times, you know, some schools will address that, but, um, but, you know, it's very important, I think, also, 
um, it, it's probably a technical question or technical uh, statement suggestion. Um, there is a very long and um, a, a, a long history old book by Fox and Azurian. Mm-hmm. It's called mm-hmm. it's called Toilet Training in a Day, right? And um, I do see sometimes m- maybe more um, uh, not younger, but maybe greener BCBAs mm-hmm. may not really have that the back pocket in their back pocket so so I was I would even suggest even with BCBAs check that check that out and since then so check that out the, check the, that the book. training in a day yeah, in a day check it out because it that's all we learned that's how we learn about toilet training and um and I think since then there are tons and tons of research yes. in this area um, that that particular program that a lot of people have made new modifications to to really you know based on the science and based on what we see in the deal. I do um, I do coursework for SitePro, a company, and there is a, a recorded webinar on there on toilet training, and and it is a beginner class for BCBAs who've never done any toilet training, and it's based off that book. Mm-hmm. training and in, 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 in a day yeah, yeah in a day it's based off that book but parents can also access that too that course well if you guys can send me links we can put it in the show notes and people can can find them and and any other resources that you think you know could be helpful to them so uh, we're nearing the end of our time but let, let's end on a happy note <laughs> why don't you share share with us um just a success story or, or two, something that really worked and helped your clients. Um, on this particular issue? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I think, I think you know, we, uh, I remember a long time ago, this, this little girl and she, she was, she was seven at the time and she has the same issue um, and she hides. Like I say, she, she'll hide and she'll ask for a diaper. And, um, and that was the last thing that prohibited her from going to regular ed mm-hmm. um, because of toileting. And so um, mom is definitely very, was very, very motivated. And so we start this particular program that was it was a toilet training and we we have her get used to us around her and she still wear her diaper so the process being she will have her diaper will be around um and then um then we start having her wearing the diaper and sitting on the toilet when she have to go mm-hmm. and over time when she's getting you know pretty comfortable with that then we start um cutting the diaper um, so the diaper with the from the bottom of the diaper, we start cutting the diaper. And I just remember, and then this takes time. I'm not saying this is like miracle that will happen tomorrow, but this takes time. I think it took us eight, eight to nine months. And finally, she have just like little just straps like around her from the diaper because we cut it so much just around. And she mm-hmm. was looking at us saying, there's no more. You can't cut anymore. <laughs> we're like, well, then, hey, just give it up. <laughs> and and she did. And so because of that, then she was totally fine, totally trained, no more issues. And mm. she was able to go to um, regular ed for her. So, so nice. it is possible. And well, it was um, creative, you know, you got to hand it to these, these, uh, 
behavior therapists who are in there cutting diapers. I mean, <laughs> that is, that's real work. That that's hard work. Oh, by the way, um, our, uh, one of our board members, when we brought up this topic recently, um, one thing that, that she recommends for, for her patients is, um, kind of like a, a one piece, almost like a, a swimsuit kind of material thing that they, that the kids can wear at night. So think of like the Olympic swimmers in those mm -hmm. swimsuits with the full legs, um, kind of like that. And so the kid really can't get in mm -hmm. right to their pants with their hands. Um, and it doesn't help with necessarily toilet training, but it will help with the smearing, smearing. part, mm -hmm. which is really, you know, as we know, just so, so very, very difficult and awful um, for the parents to deal with. And so that's sort of, I think, a stopgap measure. I know I've known kids, parents would put them in overalls every day, mm -hmm. you know, any mm -hmm. kind of clothes to keep their hands away from their um their crotches basically. Yeah. And yeah. um, yeah, this I mean, is the sort of extreme version of that. It's a, it's a good prevention plan. I think, you know, for mm -hmm. to putting overall than the swimsuit, but the, to address the behavior when it occurs, that still needs to be planned. Yeah. That's what I yeah. would It's definitely would not a full yeah, response, full but it's sort of a, as a stopgap measure. Um, so I think it's important that, they're, they're sort of like separate but related issues, right? So fecal smearing can occur either because of not being potty trained or having bowel movements. It can also occur even if they're potty trained and having right. bowel, in the right. toilet. And so families should spend some time analyzing that with, you know, if they can access a BCBA or an ABA or read or look up a book, but you have to sort of separate like is fecal smearing related to the bowel movement or not. Right. And then you kind of go through your decision tree, mm -hmm. um, analyzing that, you know, sometimes smearing, like I said, is inadvertent or unintentional and it's just a cleaning issue. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's smearing because like Dr. Two said, I'm occupying myself. Sometimes it's related to I'm constipated right? Mm -hmm. And I'm digging to try right. to get it out right. and, and stimulate some movement. And then after I do that, I wipe right. on something. And so, right. you know, right. it's an analysis like everything else. Yeah. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time and um, talking about this very difficult, but super urgent issue. Really appreciate it. Um, hopefully we'll get this podcast up in a week or two. Um, any closing words before we go? I know. Good luck. Family. That was a good, good one. <laughs> good luck. Yep. <laughs> good luck. Okay. Well, thank you so much. It was thank great you. to meet you, Dr. Two. Great meeting you. Okay. Bye, Bye, Kelly. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Confidential. If you'd like to learn more, share an idea for an episode, or become a sponsor, please visit us at autismconfidential.org. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individual speakers. Content presented is for informational purposes only, and we do not provide any medical or legal advice.